Hi, and welcome to the Think Fast podcast. My name is Simon Smith, and I'm your host. So what is this Think Fast podcast? Well, FAST with two T's stands for Focused Advancement with Speed, Tenacity, and Transparency. These are our cultural values at Benchside, where we use machine learning to help scientists run more successful experiments to bring new medicine to patients faster. On this episode, I interview Vanessa Rebro. Vanessa recently joined Benchside as our Chief People Officer bringing more than a decade's experience in human resources with some of the country's fastest growing companies. In my conversation with Vanessa, we talk about the evolution of HR, how the pandemic is changing the workplace, HR challenges of hypergrowth companies, and more. Hi, Vanessa, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Simon. I'm super happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you. I want to start by talking about your career, which has been a long career in human resources. And the first question I have is, why are you so passionate about it? And what's kept you interested in the area for so long? That's a good question. I think like my go-to is, a bit cliche, uh, I genuinely care about people. And I feel like working in like human resources, like human relations, I think you have a unique perspective on people. Um, and I studied in psychology, like I was not ready to go into clinical psychology, but I fell in love with uh, social psychology, understanding like the dynamic between people. And I feel like uh, inside organization, you can really have this impact on people. You see them like grow, bloom, struggle, and being in that chair and being able to unlock people's potential, I think it's what kept me going because it's always new. You, you can be bored. Like it's always like a, a, this big giant puzzle that you are trying to solve. So I feel like it's the reason why I've been so excited uh, and I don't want to change my, my role. Like I love too much what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It actually brings me to my next question, which is, so what you just described about seeing people thrive and flourish, things are always changing. So the, the way people are, and what people prioritize is changing. And what we know about HR practices is always changing. So that keeps it interesting as well. Let's just say over the past decade, how have you seen the field of human resources evolve and what's become more important and what's become less important? Yeah, it's yeah, good question again. Like I feel like it has evolved so much because like the society has evolved, like people has evolved, which is a good thing. So we, we have to keep adapting. And I feel like it's the main, the, the biggest change uh, we witnessed. It's basically like at the beginning, like we saw, I, I don't remember how it was called at the, at the early days I think it's admin like we were admin or something like that so I think like Mm. we really moved away from the admin and support function and now we are and and during a couple of years we had to fight to be at the table to have a seat at the table and justify why it was important and I feel like for the past at least like maybe five years or so 
we have a seat at the table and, and like we really do value people and the people function and we see how it can bring, it can be a differentiator for companies, like the culture, the people. So I feel it really evolves in terms of strategic wise, like it's way more strategic, but as well, like you point out, like it evolves in terms of like roles and, and skill sets. Like it's, it's way more technical to work in HR, like it, like all the tools we have now, like we didn't have back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is new role, like employee experience specialist, like even like employer branding, like you, you have someone on your team, like I think it's on marketing team, but you can see some, like it's a, a huge partnership between the people team and the marketing function uh, because it's super important. Um, and yes, like less admin, less support, but way more a, a strategic function. And as an HR person, you need to have like more business acumen, more tech uh, uh, skill set, like I mentioned. Uh, I feel it's my biggest takeaway from, uh, mm. from the past couple of years. You, As you were talking, you mentioned people, people. And one of the things that I've seen, I remember when I started out in my career, human resources was really the people you went to when you had questions about benefits, hiring. <laughs> hiring, things like that. And now it's very much about nurturing people. And we don't even in a lot of companies call it human resources anymore. We call it people and culture or people and operations. As part of that evolution, how has the way we view people changed from seeing them as resources to human beings? I feel we realize that it's it's no longer I don't think it's no longer like a one way street where like you add something to build and you needed someone to fill out that that need and execute on things. Like now I feel like it's way more a two way street. Like you have something to do, but you need to find someone that's willing to do that and, and keep evolving uh, that way. So I feel like uh, uh, my answer, short answer would be it's way more a two-way street where the, the, I feel like the social contract change as well. Like there mm-hmm. is like demand on both sides, uh, which I think like is as much challenging as interesting to keep understanding and adapting to what people want now. And I think like the pandemic, and I don't want to 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 to, um, to, to dive into that right now, but I think the pandemic showed a uh, uh, a lot of things like that, that we need to listen more to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's partly this idea that you used to be able to hire a person to do a very specific role for a very long time. It's like buying a wrench. And now people are going to evolve and adapt. And so you're really hiring a human being who's going to be, you know, is going to be changing and won't be doing the same exact thing for a lot of time. So they're not really a resource. They're a more fully fleshed person who can do a lot of different things. And, and you hire people to go beyond just the task at hand. Like mm-hmm. you, you hire like smart people that will uh, even tell you what you actually need before knowing it. It's, I think it's the ideal thing, uh, seeing things evolving based on the people you have internally. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk a, a little bit about evolution at a very fast pace. So you spent several years at Shopify during a period of very rapid growth. And now at Benchside, we're also in a period of very rapid growth. What are some of the unique human resources challenges that hypergrowth companies face? Yeah. 
and I don't think I'm going to say any groundbreaking thing. I just think like the fast, like the hyper growth and the fast space environment just make things like even more complex faster. So you encounter the same challenges, but 10x on a smaller uh, period of time. So like what comes to mind is communication. Uh, like when, when you are 2,400, like 1,000, 6,000, like globally, uh, making sure that the people that are coming in have enough context to do their job. And I think because of the unique culture at Shopify where we were putting like a lot of accountability on people to own their area and, and do what they were supposed to do and figuring things, a lot of things by themselves. Uh, I think it was really a unique challenge in the sense that we we needed to make sure they had like the right context. And mm -hmm. so we were like doing this a like, different way. Like we had like internal podcasts, we had like something like a, a, a internal wiki as well, but we were relying on people to really communicate really well with one another. Um, and like it became like where we're more complex when you had like more product, more country, uh, more offices, more teams, uh, making sure like things uh, uh, remain cohesive. I think uh, it's one of the, a big challenge we had to overcome. And something like you won't be surprised about is everything related to people in terms of like exhaustion, burnout, mm -hmm. imposter syndrome. Uh, we had to deal with a lot of that. And it's tough to be in an hyper growth company. Uh, and I think like at Shopify, we hired a lot of passionate people. And when you are passionate, like you, you pour your heart uh, out of it. And if you're not like completely equipped, like you can burn out yourself and not even seeing it. So from a, a, a people's standpoint, like we put a lot of things in place. Uh, we had like internal coach. Uh, we had like programs to support people like uh, benefits. Uh, and, and disability uh, leave if needed. Um, but I remember uh, working with the engineering team and the engineering team with the, the, the CS team is the team that uh, grew the most uh, uh, and the, the fastest. So it's where like, we found, found the, the biggest challenges early on. And we uh, put in place sabbaticals for people and we were looking at the time to making making sure we were able to cut things earlier. Uh, and I think I go back to the communication piece and like the imposter syndrome piece, like we needed to make sure people were able to equip themselves, but provide like the right environment, support environment for them to, uh, to, uh, to keep striving without uh, uh, having too much challenge. I think it's the two main things, but honestly, I could go on because when you become global, you do MNA, uh, the culture, the evolution of the culture, man, it's like we have evolved so much, our practices and the way we talk about our uh, values, like the mission always stays the same, but the values evolve based mm. on, like, for example, like at the beginning, one of our values was get shit done. And I, I personally loved it because like it's super strong, uh, but at the same time, it was not resonating with new country we were going in so we had to evolve mm -hmm. that and i would go beyond that from a, a, a people perspective like at the beginning at the beginning like performance management was all about uh getting shit done and then it was about performance and then we evolved the model with like it's all about impact 
so you can see that that based on the, the, our growth and what we were doing, like we kept evolving things. And I think um, it's related to this insurgent mindset. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with that concept, but uh, startups are really great at insurgent mind mindset in the sense that you are agile, you keep evolving, you can move fast, you communicate faster. Um, and the bigger you become, it's really uh, uh, challenging. And I feel like Shopify was able to keep that insurgent mindset up to at least like 4,000 employees, which is hmm. phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I think you, you, there was so much that you just described there, but a couple of things that really resonated for me is one is I don't think you can grow fast without giving people a lot of autonomy, because if you don't, then you have to micromanage and you become very brittle and slow. Yeah. But I don't think you can give people autonomy unless they have all the context they need to make the right decisions. And so there's that's where, to your point, if you don't give people context, they won't be able to be autonomous. And if they're not autonomous, you're not going to be able to move quickly. And I also think the the what you said about values changing is probably more, maybe a little bit more controversial than you even mentioned because you have an organization and one of the things we value and other organizations value is the culture and the values. And you mm -hmm. try to establish those so that you can build an organization where people have a shared set of values. But then you add new people or new countries or, or you do M&A and you bring in new cultures and, and now those are challenged. And then you have to decide, do we stick to the traditional values or do our values evolve? And I have to imagine that's a very difficult, painful place to be. Uh, yes and no, in the sense that even if the values are evolving, the essence remain. Mm. Uh, we had to evolve, like get it done because it was not us anymore or what we needed to do because of the stage we, er we, we were. Um, but the essence and the way we were operating and the vision stayed the same. So I think it's healthy to check in from time to time if like the value we have like are creating are still makes sense for the people and for where we are going and not be shy to uh, check in and evolve them. I think it's, mm -hmm. it's super healthy and, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Mm. So they're, they're the same they're the same core values, but they just change. Exactly. And sometimes like you have less, sometimes you, you add more. Uh, and I feel like I see a company, like a human being, like we are evolving and like, I don't want to, to go into too much like psychology, but what you were valuing when, when you were younger and what you value now has evolved. It, it, it didn't change like dramatically normally, uh, but it has evolved the more mm -hmm. context you have and the situation you are in. So I see this the same way, like we are still the same at the core and we are believing in the same belief system um, in, in most of the time, uh, but our value change. Mm -hmm. More mature. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to spend some time talking about bench size values and your thoughts on them. It's and But before we go there, since we're talking about people and human resources, we would be remiss not to talk about the pandemic. So I want to spend a bit of time talking about what's going on in the world and your insights into that. And I think the first one is, what do you think will be some of the lasting impacts of the pandemic on the way 
people work, on the way we manage people, on human resources? How do you think, I guess in a long shot, the way we work, how is the pandemic, in your opinion, going to affect it long term? Yeah. And I think it, it's, it relates to what we were talking like earlier about the evolution of the uh, HR slash people function. I feel like we move from work-life balance to work-life integration way more. Um, and what people are looking for is, for example, having like being able to be fulfilled at work uh, from a professional standpoint, but as well on the personal standpoint, like being able to to uh, to do charity, for example, or work in an industry that they care about and not being separate. Like we were talking about creating a, an environment where people can be the, themselves, their true self, and not having like this work person and, and this like outside of work person. So I think it's the pandemic, I think, amplify that like even more. Um, and if I can touch on the, the great resignation at the same time, because mm-hmm, I think it's mm-hmm. something that's happening. And, and I think it's, an effect, I don't know if it's the cause of the consequences, but basically people during the pandemic, I think people had more time to reflect on their lives and what really matters to them. And a lot of people made some changes to their lives. And what I would be, I don't know, one surprise we could have is because people took time to reflect on their lives, they might, might stay longer in their new role because they really took the time to assess like what matters to them. So mm-hmm. I feel like to, just to go back to your question is, um, I think we need to, to be even more flexible in the sense that we need to adapt to the needs of people. And like I think like re- being remote first is something that resonates a lot with people, but at the same time, like making sure we add we keep the same connection. Uh, if we don't connect in the office anymore, we should find ways to connect in a different way or at a different time. And um, what else I can tell you? Uh, uh, maybe I'll prompt you with, with, with a, yeah, a, a, yeah. a maybe a question or thought here, just talking about the great resignation. I tell me if this has been your experience as well, but from the things I've read and the things I've personally experienced recruiting now and seeing colleagues, I think a couple of things have happened. I do think there's a lot of soul searching going on and both the data and the experience shows that one thing that's happening is people who are older in their careers have fast-tracked their retirement and have just exited the workforce. So that's one of the reasons they think that we're seeing now this, uh, labor shortage because the stock market did well during the pandemic. So people with their retirement savings had that question of, do I stay or do I just retire early? And so a lot of them have, have gone that route. I think another thing that's happened for sure is that people have freelanced. They've decided, well, if I'm going to be working from home anyway, why don't I be my own boss? And so we've seen this mm-hmm. huge growth. Upwork is talking mm-hmm. about this large growth in freelance. So there's this growth in freelance as well. And then you have the core people who are still working for an employer who now have so much more leverage, especially engineers who can say, well, <laughs> look, I can freelance. I can always get a job freelancing and do really, really well. So I don't really have to work for anybody. If I'm going to make that sacrifice and work for someone, these are my requirements. And now there's a lot more leverage there. So how much of that are you seeing as well? And what am I missing in that description? No, I think like you are nailing it. Like- people 
people that is returning, maybe they are not that happy in the, the role they were, or they didn't like find this work-life integration. And that's fine if like we have to respect like where people are. In terms of like the, the freelance people, I think like it's not the same. Even if you are remote in, in, in both setup, it's still not the same setup to be part of a company of either like building your own or doing like freelance work. So I wonder how it's going to evolve, but like I have many friends that has their own companies and are doing freelancing, but it can be long, lonely as well. It's not mm -hmm. this, like the same thing that being part of a, of a team. So I wonder like how long this will last. Uh, and maybe it makes sense for them to do that now uh, or find a company that will provide like the same flexibility, but with like a bigger purpose and, and a team. So, I mean, I would watch out that, that tenancy. Personally, I don't think it will last, uh, but uh, we'll see. And, and yes, engineers and I would say like even talent acquisition are hot in the market currently. Uh, we... It's happened in the past as well, maybe not to this extent, but like some roles are like it's the offer and demand and and we have to adapt to that. Uh, we don't really have a choice uh, when you build a, a, a product like you need engineers. Um, and I think they are pushing us to to uh, to be even more different. Like what why why bench side? And I think it's where like companies will i think companies are judged and will be judged on the way they are reacting to the pandemic mm -hmm. um and i think like bench size is a wonderful environment and like if we can keep like scaling our culture and our environment like we will keep like attracting people i think we need to stand out in the market in terms of like culture work environment problem we are we, we are solving and being competitive like there is a lot of uh, uh requests around like being and competitive, competitive from a total reward uh, perspective, and I think it's the element I'm keeping uh, I'm keeping in mind, like offering the right environment, the right culture, and making sure what we are offering is is fair, fair and competitive. And and there is no way around that. We just need to keep doing what we are really good at, and and shout it uh, louder and louder. Mm -hmm. I, one point you brought up there that is is interesting is that, I mean, it sounds like the difference between freelancing and working for a company now, you you can be working remotely and, and everything else and have these social interactions, but when your contract ends, you're on to the next company and you have no relationships. So in some strange way, as we've moved to this remote work world, relationships have become even more important, even though, yeah. because there's so much, you know, there we've recognized their value because we've had such limited human contact. Yes. So what are some other ways? I mean, maybe if you have a few things that you think as companies move to this remote and hybrid work, what are the most important things that people have to keep in mind? Yeah, I think one call out I would make is that I don't think like remote work is for everyone. Uh, I think like you need to be honest with yourself and, and see if it's something that you are really into it. Like we can do a lot of work on making like connection and relationship like easier, but still like it's a different setup than an in-office setup. So I think I would make that call out first. After that, I just think 
people have seen the beauty of having this flexibility and we need to find ways for people to be able to connect. So uh, a couple of things that comes to mind is that the connection is super important for people. And it's not so much about like work rela relation. Mm -hmm. uh, what I have witnessed during the pandemic is that people were craving like belonging and, and connection and not that they're like, closest co-worker but being able to be in a community so I feel like if we are able to recreate those communities those hubs like making sure like people are connecting with one another if they are living in the same neighborhood I think we'll need to be more intentional and 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 foster an environment where it's easier to connect with one another so it could be like through a uh, uh, tech tools like a map where people are a co-working space we are making available to people if they want to come together at some point if like they feel comfortable based on on, on the uh, uh, the law and the health uh, recommendation and um, another thing i'm i'm i think i, I would uh, i would say is um now that we don't have a, a single point of connection which was the office we need to rethink are we are going to come together as a company. And I think like coming together on a quarterly basis or twice a year, I think we need to rethink how we basically rethink how we connect and mm -hmm. it has to be on different levels, different ways. Uh, I think donuts and Slack is a good way, but like the, 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 the overarching things is being intentional and creating those, those connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like we, I feel like what we have the opportunity to do here is when you need to focus, you can focus even more because you're working remotely. And when you need to get together with human beings, you should do potentially do that in person because that's also like a deeper, but you should put your phone and your devices aside. So I we have the opportunity anyway to create the situation where you can get the both from both situations. When yes. you're with people, yes. really be with people, do the human yes. stuff, you know, talk about yes. their lives and connect. And when you're working, yes, use the devices, but turn off the distractions. And, and I think that would be the, the ideal future state, yes. but we'll see if we can navigate there. Okay, time for the value speed round. And we're gonna go through <laughs> bench size values, which are focused yes. advancement with speed, tenacity, and transparency. And I've got a few questions here for each of them starting with focus, because you've studied mindfulness-based stress reduction. And I do, I try to meditate every day. And I, I don't think, I mean, it's a weird thing. To, I, everybody says this, I'm not great at it, but I have learned to recognize when my mind is wandering. And I think that's at least something valuable. Can mindfulness-based stress reduction help people to focus? And what are some of its other benefits? Yeah. Definitely, like focus more thanks to the MBSR, definitely. And the best way I could describe it is if you think about a snow globe, mm. kind of being yourself and life tends to shake that snow globe. And like you have tons of millions of snowflakes which you can compare to thoughts. And I feel like mindfulness teaches you how to stay still and let those snowflakes, those thoughts uh, um, just like come to the floor and, and, and let you really focus in the present moment. 
to do what you are doing, which is like either work on, on, on a deadline or it, when you are with your kids, you are really with your kids and not bothered by uh, thoughts about work. So I feel it really teaches you, like I said, being in the moment, doing what you are doing right now. And the biggest gift uh, uh, meditation and mindfulness brought me is happiness. And that's super, super weird in a sense, because like I remember starting, uh, I'm, I'm doing it for the second time, but the first time I, I did it is like my condition hasn't changed over the, the, the course of eight weeks. But I can tell you, I, I was way more grateful at the end of the process than I was at the beginning, but nothing's changed. So it helps you uh, being more in the moment and recognizing all the moment of gratefulness. And I feel like the more you do it, less snowflakes, less thoughts comes mm -hmm. uh, in your ways. Uh, yeah, I don't know if yeah. it answers your, your, your question. It does. It, it does. I I feel like people have an expectation of meditation and, and mindfulness, and it's that you, your mind will calm and you won't have any thoughts and you'll be, and everything will, you'll just be at peace. And my experience anyways, the reality is no, it's a constant struggle, but uh, someone described it to me as it's like going to the gym and working out your muscles are getting stronger, even though the workout is always hard because you're it's, your mind wants to wander. It's the nature of your mind, yeah, but yeah. the, but the exercise itself strengthens your ability to, to be in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, yes, the snow globe, but somebody keeps shaking it even while you're sitting there. <laughs> oh yeah. <it's laughs> true. Like, like you, you can't, yeah, you, you, yeah, you can't compete with life shaking your, 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 your life and, and, and right. putting uh, things upside down for sure. It's just like yeah. the more you practice, like you said, the more in the moment you can be and you are, yeah, you, you find your, a stronger ground. Mm -hmm. It's a skill. I, so speaking of skills segue, I want to talk about uh, advancement, one of our other values. And I have a couple of questions here around education. So maybe I'll provide some context here. When I started out in my career, I, when I, and I was hiring, I would often put a reasonable amount of emphasis on people's traditional education. So let's say their degrees and that was important. And then over time, that's changed a lot for me. So now I really emphasize skills and experience. So for example, if somebody came out of a, I don't know, an MBA at a top tier university and I was hiring for a marketing position, I would, I would probably value real world experience, you know, four or five times uh, a degree and good references and, and, and good objective results that they've achieved. And so for, from that perspective, how do you think employers have changed in terms of their emphasis on traditional education over the past decade? And how has that affected hiring? And maybe how has that affected what people should prioritize in terms of their time and investment in growth, personal growth? That's a really good question. I think it definitely evolved over the years. Like, I don't know if it's 10 years or 30, 30 years, but like traditional education lost its relevance over time. And maybe because like the, 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 the pace, hmm. the companies are evolving is so, so crazy, so fast that the academics are not able to catch up on a lot of things. I still feel like there is 
value in terms of foundation of your traditional education. I think that we all need like some foundation, but at the same time, like definitely not something I've been looked at in resume. Like when I look at like LinkedIn profile, when I was hiring like at the, at the beginning of my career, like I remember not paying a lot of attention to that. Uh, so to your point, I think what I value more is this growth mindset that the, the foundation is important, but today I think like, like companies and, and people should focus even more on evolving what they know and keeping a, a pulse on what's going on and how things are evolving. I think it's way more important to have that ingrained than knowing like everything is just like how you keep track of what's going on. And even more to that, like we, we are witnessing people that don't have like a, a per se like traditional education getting to really higher role. Like um, I'm, I'm thinking of like Toby Luke, the CEO of Shopify, or even like Elon Musk, like it's not, they don't have like per se like traditional education to be where they are, but still they are where they are and like they are striving. And I feel it's a lot to do with growth mindset and being able to understand what's going on and, and, and develop, like owning their own development. So mm -hmm. I would say like, if I have an advice for people now, yes, current foundation from an educational uh, uh, standpoint, uh, but you will have to learn even more uh, coming in the, the workforce. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I would agree with that. I think that the, like a college or university education focused on critical thinking and almost like a liberal arts education, I think doesn't have direct relevance to a job, but has a lot of value. And then the skills should be more experiential, learned on a job because those, those technical skills change so fast. And to your point, once you design a four-year curriculum for a technical role, it's already obsolete the minute the minute you start doing it. So it's that doesn't make sense. But I think the the foundational stuff, the liberal arts education, critical thinking skills, and yeah. uh, and your 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 point about developing a growth mindset is definitely valuable. That brings me to a topic of continuous learning. So again, I'll give you my perspective on this for what it's worth. Most learning I've had a twenty plus. Uh, year career, most of my experience in most companies, learning has absolutely sucked. And I think in, it's sucked because it's like, here is this huge course that you now have to complete. You have to take time out of your day or either at the end of the day to do this course. It's kind of dry often and not that memorable. And uh, it's not tailored to the way maybe that you learn best. So some people mm -hmm. like to read, some people prefer videos, some people like to be hands-on and so on. And, you know, my, I haven't really ever seen a company that's done this in a way that seems to support, when it's centralized anyway, that really supports growth and development versus encouraging people to just do their own, take their own path. But have you seen anything? What, what do you think companies can do to best support people's continuous learning? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a difficult topic as well. I don't know any company that completely nailed it because as you said, like people are learning differently and being able to adapt like the learning path to every individual, it's quite challenging. And I say that we need to foster an environment 
that give access to learning courses anyway. We need to get better at how we curate those courses to be able to adapt to uh, the way people are learning. Uh, and I'll go back to that, but I think it's, it's not only that, like we need to think about mentorship. We need mm -hmm. to think about reverse mentorship, something that I read about like uh, lately that I, I find really interesting to our beauty. Uh, people like trying on, on a different school or different department to, to get a better sense of what's going on. Like uh, apprenticeship, I think there is uh, to, to add like people coming in in a new role or new department and learning all the ropes on the work. I think those initiatives, those programs are super relevant and we can help with that with more traditional learning courses where you fill those gaps. I think it has to be looked at different angles, more traditional courses when you where you read things, but it's super like accessible. It's easy to access, like you need to learn about like product, like how we do, what's the different stage of a, a, a product features. And it's maybe a bit boring. We can make it more uh, uh, gamify that like with video and, and interaction. Um, but this foundation like we were just discussing before, you still need like some foundation, but then you need to put on top of that, like some initiative that will be able to give context to, to, to that foundation and, and traditional learning and, and amplify that and accelerate that. I think it goes both hands. And as a company, I feel like to make things easier, we need to develop those initiatives, but as well, I ideally you provide like a library and it could be, uh, books recommendation, uh, it could be uh, linking learning um, for people to choose. And then you can do that, uh, you, you can do a, a team building around that. Like, uh, I think like someone in casting, they are doing like this link linking learning uh, every, every Wednesday, they come together and they learn about a topic. Like, I think it doesn't have to be you in your basement looking at something or reading something a bit boring. Like, you, you can go an extra mile in making a, it an experience. Mm -hmm. But I do think we need to, to keep working on how we are providing that content. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, the, I think the one thing you hit upon about apprenticeship and mentorship and reverse mentorship is to me that feels more right than just dumping more information on people. And I think that's partly because a lot of things that you can learn better being hands-on. I also think that one of the values of mentorship versus book learning, let's say, is that you can talk to a mentor about what is the 20% that gives you the 80% of the impact. They yes. can say, look, I know you've read all of this, but in fact, most of that is bullshit. And in the day-to-day -day <laughs> job, this is the thing you need to pay attention to. And, and that's, I, th I think that's very important because one of the, one of the challenges with hyper growth is prioritization. People will always yeah. come to you and say, I have so much to do. What should I really be doing? And I think it's the same way with learning a new skill or learning whatever. There's a certain core thing that you need to focus on in order to really nail it. And any other stuff is nice to have. And when you're reading yeah. things online or it's just, it all blends together, but really you need to know, what do I really need to master to be successful at this yeah. thing? And that comes from mentorship and apprenticeship. Yeah. I agree. Um, Kind of a related note, speed now, recruiting. <laughs> so I'm recruiting constantly and it has gotten harder and harder over the past few months 
partly because the the pandemic has made things very difficult, partly because we're looking to fill very in-demand roles. From your perspective, what are a few of the things companies can do to recruit people faster without reducing the quality of those people? Mm -hmm. So what can really speed up recruiting? Yeah, without uh, uh, compromising on quality, which is really, really, really key because like my short answer would say, I would say that there is no uh, secret sauce. Uh, and it's rather a long game than a short game, uh, unfortunately. So I feel like um, we, if I start with that, like we should work for a long, uh, long-term strategy, like building a pipeline of people, building connection with uh, local communities, building network. This should be the foundation to avoid like being too focused on recruitment and too stressed, too pressured. So I think there is a layer where we have to build some, some foundation with, to, to have people, uh, um, a pipeline of people without compromising uh, the quality and adding like, different angles to build that pipeline. I think it will be like the long game strategy, long-term strategy. In the short term, I feel the competition is so huge and like you have seen it and like, I do believe that we need to stand out in the market. And I think it's showcasing what's our culture, what's our value, how we are living them, and, and, and maybe being more creative the way we approach people. Like, I'm still doing it. I want to work on that, but I keep like posting like job description. Hey, if you want to know more about the role, just reach out to me. I think like we, if we want to stand out even more, like it should be more personal. I don't know if it's a short video or something on our current website or where we really talk about what's the day-to-day. It, it's more time consuming, but you will stand out even more because like people are receiving so many things that like, you need to know right away if you will like you will feel like you will belong and mm-hmm. you are connecting with the, with the company. And I think that you are like you and your department are really well positioned to help us accelerate that and I'm sure that you have even more ideas on how to stand out as an employer. Um, it's one one thing. I think the candidate experience, we really have to nail that, like making sure the process is not too long, not too short, like we are asking the right question, we are giving the, 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 the right amount of information because today, like you said, like it's a two-way street. We're assessing the candidate as much as they are assessing us. So we need to, to, to nail the hiring process and how we are connecting uh, with with people and like something that that came to mind like uh, uh, since the beginning of the year I, I think is like why do you stay I don't know with Netflix or with Apple or um, uh, you want to explore like uh, the Tesla experience and it's all about the experience you are providing why you are attracting to some product and like as I said, like you are well well aware of that. I think we need to to stand out on that front. Um, so yes, candidate experience, building a pipeline of candidates and the partnership. I think it should be a partnership on talent acquisition and, and the hiring manager because usually the hiring manager as a network and the talent acquisition team are kind of the, uh, uh, the expert on how to approach, where to find people. We need to, to, to have like a strong partnership uh, uh, 
to to have like the seamless candidate experience understand really well what's the expectation what's the role uh, uh, to provide even more strategy to um to uh, to find those talents it was a long answer sorry about that no that's good i it, i it raises one additional question for me and that is a question around internships because yeah. one thought i've had recently is that it's so hard to hire for certain roles it can take many months would yeah. it be better to bring somebody in who may not be quite ready for that role in an internship capacity and then have them gain the experience that they need to then subsequently take that role if they want to? What experience have you had with internships in the past? What's your perspective on them? Yeah, to, to me, the key when I was not the only key, but one big component. And when I was talking about the foundation and, and the, the uh, the long-term uh, plan is basically like building relationship with uh, university schools uh, uh, one to have access to a, a diverse pool of talent and to being able to uh, 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 grow someone internally that will have the context will understand our values and our culture and will be able to have an impact like down the road uh, it's an investment sometimes because like you need someone to uh, perform at, at a certain level and they are not quite there yet uh, but I feel like even like internally it's a good experience for someone that wants to try out like leadership role or wants to try out coaching someone so uh, I work on campus recruitment in all my roles uh, mm -hmm. to be honest and and I even like really, really early on, I adapt the, the, the campus recruitment program that Yahoo had in the US to the European market, which was super interesting to see the differences between uh, how we were approaching things, but definitely building those relationships to be able to have like internship, I think will be key to be able to fulfill those roles. Great. Maybe something we'll work on together in the future. Uh, I, I have so. a, a couple more value questions here and then we can wrap it up. I want to talk about tenacity. So this is one of our values, people having grit effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And my question is how you can build resilience in people because a lot of times when you read about people who have a lot of resilience, it's because they've overcome horrible things in their lives. So I don't think we want to expose people to horrible things just so they can become more tenacious. But if not, how can we teach resilience? Hmm. Hmm. Good, good, good question. And I think like it's key when you are in a hyper growth phase, uh, like, like to be able to thrive on change, on changes, which is kind of something that you you see like every week in a hyper growth company, like you need to develop resiliency. And I feel like some people are more resilient because they went through tough time. Uh, but I feel a way for people to build that muscle is to pro like internally as a company is to provide like support and support like internally, externally, and even like existentially. Uh, I think it's the three components to help out with uh, uh, build like developing that muscle. So support in terms of uh, existentially having like the right work environment, the right culture that where people like feel it's safe to to fail um, and they are they have like a psychological safety to do so. Um, 
it 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 goes with support like from your team, your coworker, your manager, and and from your friends and 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 family. But it's where we can control things, but uh, uh, providing uh, providing support and and the way the way we set things up as well to provide like support in terms of context or having a coach like Carrie, I think it's something that that can really help people uh, uh, to uh, to build that resiliency, to know that they are not alone and able to bounce back. It's kind of the definition of, of resiliency. Um, so just to go beyond that, I don't know if you have uh, read the book of uh, um, Nassim, uh, Nassim Taleb on anti-fragility. Anti yes, yes. And, and I'm curious to get your, your point of view because I feel like anti-fragile is kind of uh, not the, the, the new resiliency, but basically it's, it's beyond resiliency and robustness. It, it mm -hmm. basically, uh, and it's hard to explain uh, really uh, simply, but being resilient and getting better, even better, like bouncing back and adding a better version of yourself. So mm -hmm. I don't know your, your experience with the, yeah, that. Yeah. So so basically his anti-fragile are things that actually get stronger when there's a disruption and yeah. how do you build systems or, or in this case, build humans that get stronger through challenge or disruption. I, I'm not sure he directly, if I'm remembering correctly, addresses in the book individuals. I think he's more like societies and organizations, yeah. Yeah. but it's a good question. How would you set up a situation so that people get better. I think, I think one of the things you identified is psychological safety. So people feel like they have the opportunity to fail and it's not going to be catastrophic. And then systems in place so that failures become fuel for improvement. And, and I think that's so there's a little bit of a perspective. We need to have the perspective as an organization that failure is a good thing. And because failure will make us better in future. And then mechanisms in place to take that failure and actually use it as fuel to get better. I think if you have that, then every setback is you genuinely, it just powers the organization forward. I don't know how to do that, <laughs> but I think that's how I would set it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, so last values question, and you and I had an email exchange about this because so I'll set it up here. It's about transparency and it's a really important value of ours. And we are transparent about as much as we can be, but there's certain things we won't disclose. So for example, salaries is one. We don't disclose other people's salaries in the company. And our perspective there is that's not our information to disclose. We can disclose our own company bank accounts and how much money we're spending and how much money we're making. And that's fair, but your salary is not mine as a company to disclose, but some companies who are really into transparency and open governance, they do that. I mean, there's even Semco, I believe, allows people to set their own salaries and for other people to know what they are. So what is the right balance for a company that really, really values transparency? Mm -hmm. What's the right balance between transparency and privacy? What should be private and, and how do you justify that? Yeah. Definitely an interesting question uh, that I uh, got uh, a couple of, couple of times over the years. And um, like you said, salary is your own. It's your own journey. And there is so many factors to it. Like it's 
your experience, your, your, your education, uh, the offer and the demand. Uh, and if you choose to have like more base salary or more equity, like there is so many factors that behind your salary that giving just a number without the context won't lead people to make better decisions. They won't get mm -hmm. like any insight just having that number. And when we say we are transparent about like the company's numbers, we are giving that context. Mm -hmm. We are explaining what's the, the, the revenue, what, what, what we are spending, what's the trend. So we are giving that context. So I feel like I'm all for transparency, but if we were to disclose salary, like I want to provide like the full journey and I don't think that people will make better decision knowing everyone's journey. And I do feel, yes, there is some privacy to it. I think one thing we can be more transparent with, and it's not an easy thing, um, it's providing salary band. Starting with salary band, but you need to have like career path. You need to explain how comp work, how we decide on things. And based on experience, it's not always easy to provide all that context and equip everyone with the knowledge to have a good understanding of what what we have behind those salary bands. But I feel like if we want to work toward more transparency, which I want, it's where I would focus on like having salary band and at some point maybe work on compare ratio where people are on the salary band for managers and hiring managers have even more uh, context. And to, to summarize it is not that I don't want to disclose salaries, just you are missing context and transparency and giving you information needs to lead to to uh, to make better decision if it's not the case something is broken and we need to uh, mm. to have a, a better admin mm -hmm. i like i don't know if that. it makes sense it does and i like that as the the i guess the gate or the the question that we ask when we're considering what to disclose will this lead us to make better decisions and and i think you raise a good point i would even add to it in a remote world where you have people working all over the world and salaries are partly related to their location of work, you can have people or even currencies. So yes. you can have people with very, very different salaries. And if you don't provide context, and there's so much context, yeah, you could just look at a, at a spreadsheet and think, wow, you have this huge disparity. But in reality, re relative to their experience, their market, their their skill set, how demanded that could be very different situations. So I, I agree with that. All right. So we're going to wrap it up. I have just two more questions with you. The first one is what are you most excited about with your upcoming work at Benchside? And what are you most eager to start doing? Huh. I'm super pumped. Uh, I think you, you know that already. I feel what excites me the most is the timing of me joining Benchside. I think mm -hmm. each stage of company are super interesting. I think, and I don't know if you will relate to that, uh, but the, the stage Benchside is, is like this adolescence phase, like really mature adolescence, like based on what I, I have seen so far of Benchside, like super matter, but still like adolescence phase in the sense that we are no longer completely a startup. Like we are already like more organized. We are mm -hmm. not like a, a, a fully flesh uh, scale-up company yet that's thriving, but we want to work toward that, like keeping the insurgent mindset, which is super important for me. And um, 
I think it's the most difficult uh, phase, to be honest, the adolescent phase, because like yeah. you question yourself so much about um, where you are, why we are doing this, what's our identity, how we want to evolve. Uh, but I think it's where the magic happens as well. Uh, based on my experience, I've been through that like a couple of times. And uh, you think you know, but you don't know. Like you can see some patterns, but you are always like surprised at how people um, evolve and how the company is evolving. So I feel like what I'm the most excited about is like the timing of me joining and what I'm eager to tackle. I need to give a, a kudos to to Rold and, and the, the people at Steam because it's amazing what they have been able to do so far. And um, like the more I keep discovering, like I, I'm I'm fascinated by everything that has been put in place. Uh, but what I'm I'm eager to partner uh, on is uh, level up our uh, offering. Uh, for example, working on our uh, talent acquisition function to provide even more support and. Something we discussed briefly, like um, I've seen like the HR business partner model worked um, and I want to provide even more high care, high touch to employees and work even more alongside to manager to help them and, and coach them and support them to at the end of the day, like unlock everyone's potential. And so yes, talent acquisition, HR business partner model and, and look at everything we are doing and and um, evolve it along the way, like everything that that Benchai is doing on the diversity, equity, and inclusion front, uh, it's something I'm super interested in, and I want to continue to, to do some work on that too. Um, and I could go on, like I'm yeah. here to do a lot of things, but but the partnership uh, is uh, my main point. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. We we uh, we have a lot of uh, things going on, a lot of open roles. I just want to give you a, a chance here to let me know if there's anything you'd like to add or any questions I didn't ask you that you would have hoped that I would have asked. We talked about a lot of things. Um, so there is nothing that comes to mind, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'll reflect on this uh, on our podcast, like maybe in six months or even maybe just three months to see like <laughs> what the... the what the past we took and how we evolved because I think it will be super interesting to like when you have this like screenshot uh it's interesting to see how things are evolving so no I'm super grateful uh, to have had that conversation with you and I love all the questions you asked uh, and I really enjoyed that time with you Simon right and we can do another one in six months and, and <laughs> maybe go through this point by point and see where we're at <laughs> Vanessa thank you very much uh, and I look forward to working with you me too, me too. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to the Think Fast podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn more about Benchsize culture, visit careers.benchsize.com. And if that culture resonates, check out our open roles. Until the next episode, stay safe and think fast.